tremendous session with Brother Haddon. Tremendous presentation. And uh, I will take the opportunity to read over that several more times in the coming days. Thank you to him and what a good question and answer and critique session that we had. Our next session is with Reverend Ken Bowe, who began his full-time ministry in 1976 at the age of 23. He received an honorary doctorate in 2007. He is the author of 14 books and contributes regularly to periodicals. He pioneered a church in Canada, pastored in California, and has traveled nationwide in evangelistic crusades and revivals. He has preached and ministered in 11 countries around the world. Reverend Bo accepted the senior pastor position at the First Church of Puget Sound in January of 1999. He has found his permanent home in Lake Taps, Washington. It is a wonderful delight and privilege for me to present to you my teenage Sunday school teacher as he presents a biblical view of separation. You know you're getting old when the little boys you taught have grown up and become great men of God. Thank you, Brother Allard. Well, need to warn you folks, We're going from way up here down to where we all live right now. All them nine-syllable words and all that stuff has come to a screeching halt. I want to say a thank you, a giant thank you, a sincere thank you to Pastor and Sister Mayo for the dream of having Soted. Not only the dream, but then the pursuit and the successful fulfillment of this meeting. I believe in my heart they are truly modern visionaries, and I admire them very much. I think they are tremendous people. Certainly want to extend thank you to Cornerstone Church. What an excellent job they always do. And I say this sincerely, no one anywhere does it any better than Cornerstone Church. Amen. And I want to say thank you to all the presenters at this meeting. I don't want to just thank you for your presentation at SOTAD 2018, but I want to salute you for a lifetime of the pursuit of more noble things in the kingdom of God. Wadsworth said it well, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, when he said, heights by great men reached and kept are not obtained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward through the night. The men that are presenting here are men that have spent a lifetime pursuing the noble causes of Jesus Christ. And I want to say thank you to the moderators, doing a great job. That's a tough job, and they're doing very well with it. My presentation that you have there in the book before you could have been supported by outside material, could have been supported by anthropology, could have been supported by archaeology, modern day algorithms, geology, a number of supporting things. But with the parameter of 3,000 words, I chose to go with just the original tablet that was connected to the cloud. God wrote this original tablet, and it was and is connected to the cloud, so I'm going to limit... (laughs) I'm going to limit my presentation to the original tablet. Hope that's all right. I wanted to be very good, so I wore my Albert Einstein socks today. And I want to make them available to any of the following presenters that would like to borrow them. I don't think they'll give you any edge, but it's worth a try. I told Dr. Blash I was going to 
give him my question before he even presented because last night I heard a little comment about food addiction. And I want him to answer in front of all of you that if I'm not supposed to eat late at night, why did they put a light in my refrigerator? Turn to someone near you and introduce yourself to them by your middle name. Hi, I am. So, two things. Number one, I'm the mule in this Kentucky Derby that they've got going here, and I don't mind that. And number two, I'm going to do the same thing for you that Elizabeth Taylor did for all eight of her husbands. I'm not going to keep you very long. I feel very much today like the old Indian that thoroughly enjoyed sending up smoke signals. Every day he built his little fire, got his blanket out, and he was so excited when someone on a far ridge would answer his simple little communications, one puff, one long, got his little blanket. He didn't realize that he was living just a few miles from a nuclear test site. And one day while he's giving his little blanket message, they set off an atomic bomb. And that thing went nine miles high, and it was big, and it was loud. And he looked over there at his little puffs, and he looked back and he said, I wish I would have said that. That's exactly how I feel today. I got my little blanket out here, and we're going to do our thing. So let's get started, all right? <laughs> In this presentation, I am choosing to use the sola scriptura concept of only relying on the scriptures. And there's only one outside reference. All other supporting argument is based only on the de facto truth of the scriptures. I've also chosen the in situ op-ed method for my supporting argument because there is very possibly and potentially some things in my presentation that might not be what all agree on, and I'm okay with that. So, a biblical definition of separation. In the beginning, God created, Genesis 1 and 1, to create the Hebrew word bara is by default to separate, to divide. So, in the opening salvo of the creative act of God, separation begins. There can be no creation without separation. It is inherent in the act itself and simply cannot be debated. Separation is therefore, and I think this is an important concept, Separation is therefore the earliest revelatory motion of God. Before God declares himself in his essence, he establishes separation as absolute. My simple goal today is to elevate our thinking beyond separation being how I dress or how I conduct myself in my daily living and to elevate it to the point that the Bible gives it definition. 
let there be light in Genesis 1 and 3 demands a separation. The elements of darkness are eclipsed and light conquers and fills the void by the act of separation. The waters that covered the earth before the sun and stars are introduced into creation were separated afterward into waters above and waters below, Genesis 1 and 6. The dry land appearing from the seas demands separation to happen, Genesis 1 and 9. The separation is an eternal principle and action of God. It will be the final and conclusive action of God at the end of time when God separates the saved from the lost. Separation is the opening salvo of creation and the final word of this present existence as we now know it. Separation is the joining link of the broken chain of eternity that we call time. To attempt to differentiate between God and the principle of separation is not possible. It is God. It is axiomatic. To remove the principle of separation from God and his creative work is blasphemy. The act of redemption throughout the entire timeline of Scripture is separation. It is evident in creation and continues in the principle and the enactment of redemption. It underscores every act and decision of God recorded in the Scripture. Lucifer being cast out of heaven is separation, Luke ten eighteen. Noah saving the human race from extinction is separation, Genesis chapter 6. Light and darkness, land and sea, atmosphere above and below are all evidentiary proof that the principle of separation and God are indivisible. It is God's montage. Separation is the first and the earliest motion of God himself that we have record of. Separation is the final statement on mankind at the end of all the eras. Separation begins in Genesis 1 and 1. It runs contiguously through every age and era and is the final melange of God in Revelation 22 and 21. Without the principle of separation, there simply is no Bible and therefore, by default, therefore, no God. This would allow the atheist to tout his credenda. So the dictum must be that revelation itself is de facto separation. The absolute law of separation. As the cosmos was separated and sorted as an ongoing process, so this bilateral process of separation also occurs in the journey of mankind on planet earth. The same God who by the process of Barra began the act of creation and separation continues the process of separation in the unfolding pageant of humanity. Adam is separated from the animal kingdom by the breath of God that is breathed into man, thus separating him from all other living matter in the creatures, Genesis 2 and 7. The fingerprint of God continues to be evident in the diversity of flora and fauna, the genus and classes of creation by the process of separation. The scientific observation of mutation among the species is empirical evidence that creative separation is still active today. I suggest to you today that any observation of science with empirical evidence, if the process is present at the beginning, it's observable throughout and conclusive at the end, is in itself an absolute law. There has been no variation throughout the process. Separation is an absolute law of God. It is observable in the opening verse of Scripture. It is present throughout the Bible in many forms and configurations through the first cosmos, 
and continues into the second cosmos until the conclusion of the first heaven and the first earth. There is no, I emphasize, no absence of separation at any time in the history of our world. It is consistent in every age and period of revelation. It is ongoing. So, if we can trace this process to the first moment of God's interaction with earth, and we can see clearly it's the final moments of God's interaction with earth, and we can document it throughout man's existence, then we must reach the undeniable conclusion. Separation is an absolute law of God. I'm going to talk about separation under the first cosmos. In the examination of separation, it's imperative that we be aware of small things. This is just a little humorous point here. To any who doubt the significance of small things, I pose a small experiment. Take the most common element on earth, water. The majority of earth's surface is water. Here's the only outside reference I use, 71% according to the USGS.gov. Water is composed of the chemical composition of H2O. Try this little experiment. Take out one of the hydrogen molecules out of the equation. Now you have a hydrogen and an oxygen molecule. By simply separating one small molecule, you have changed water, the essence of life, to a gas. You can also go another route. You can remove the oxygen component, leaving only hydrogen. Now you have a form of air or gas. I actually have a glass of it here today. If you would like a sample after the presentation, I have plenty for everyone. The next time you're really thirsty, try a glass of air. See how it works. Tonight when you go to sleep, Place a glass of it by your bedside so when you wake up in the night and are thirsty and tomorrow when we gather, let me know how it works. In fact, tomorrow morning while you're at it, make your coffee with it and tell me how it compares with Starbucks. It will convince you of the importance of small things. Small things change composition and structure and listen carefully, eventually Redefine anything when separation occurs. Many of the things in the first cosmos seem small, superficial to our modern mind. Something as simple as a shellfish, not allowed to be eaten, seems unimportant to us. Leviticus 11 and 12. Before we dismiss this principle as unimportant, we should remember the immutable principle of separation. I ask you today, was God exhibiting frivolous commandments to forbid to eat something soft encased by the hard seems irrelevant at first. In the bigger picture of unfolding redemption, the foreshadow is relevant. Those who declare as long as the inside is right, the outside doesn't matter are taken to task with this small issue. The outside must be right as well as the inside to be acceptable to God. Many centuries later, this concept would prove a maxim when the Pharisees touted their righteousness in the eight woes of Matthew 23 when they were identified as clean on the outside but full of dead men's bones. On the inside. The principle of separation is dominant in the old covenant. Adam and Eve are separated from the garden. Sinful man is separated by a world flood. Abraham is separated from his birth family. The nation of Israel is separated from all the nations around them. The Hebrew people are separated by their lifestyle, their diet, their social interactions. Many of these separation issues were small but relevant. To change the formula given by God changes the eventual outcome of his approval or disapproval. This always hinges 
on small things. To change the name invoked in baptism from the name of Jesus to the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost changes the approval of God to his disapproval. To retain his approval, we must not change the original formula of Acts 238, 8.16, 10.48, and 19.5. Of the over 600 laws the Hebrew nation lived by, many were pointed at small issues of separation in their lifestyle and daily living. I'm calling this a second cosmos. It's my own terminology, so this is where I might be a little uh, at odds with some other people, but let me present it the way I see it. Separation under the second cosmos. With the arrival of John the Baptist and the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, we are introduced to the principle of separation in the new covenant prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 and 31. After 400 years of silence, God breaks the silence with the single word, repent. Matthew 3, 2. To repent, metanio, an action of separation, is to separate yourself from sin and things displeasing to God. God inaugurates the new covenant era with the verbal instructive of separation just like he did in the first creative moment in Genesis 1 and 1. The first utterance in the dawn of the new age is repent, separate. The separation of the spiritual waters, New Testament theology people of the second cosmos had begun. In that creative speaking, all of a sudden the waters that are going to be above and the waters that are below are beginning to be separated. Jesus brought a transformation to the principles of Old Testament separation. The continuation of separation in the New Covenant is subtly revealed by separation issues from the Old Testament and morphing them into New Testament theology. Ideology about the Sabbath is elevated to a new level of separation. No longer is our rest day one in seven but rather our rest is in Jesus 24 hours a day. The prohibitions of the Sabbath are perfected and invoked daily, not just once a week. Thus the benefits of the Sabbath are continuously received. Jesus separates himself. I hope you can see the parallel irony here. He separates himself from the Old Testament legality of the Sabbath and introduces the new concept of separation based on relationship with God himself. The Sabbath concept of the new covenant requires separation from sinful life choices to then enjoy the fellowship of a holy God. The new covenant continues the mantra of the old covenant and the dominance of light. It is a central theme of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is light, John 9, 5. The believer is light, Matthew 5, 14. The way of truth is light, John 1, 4. Jesus does not discard the principle of light, but rather elevates it to its proper role in the new covenant. This is repeatedly set forth in the New Testament phrases like, in him is light. Light, I am the light of the world at all. Demonstrate the preeminence of light in the second cosmos as in the first cosmos. This dominance of light will continue into the eternal realm where God giveth them light. Revelation 22.5 And there is no need for the sun. Light brings separation by its very essence, where light exists, darkness is repulsed. Another factor of light is simply illumination. With illumination comes transparency. 
hidden things are revealed. This will occur at the end of the world when the glorious light of the gospel will reveal all things hidden. Luke 8, 17. The Bible proclaims that which is done in secret shall be shouted from the housetops. Luke 12 and 3. This is the critical part here. Until that moment arrives, God uses the method of separation to illustrate his ways and provide illumination and light to a darkened world. When a woman wears her hair long and uncut or untrimmed, she demonstrates the light of God in her separated lifestyle. She has been illuminated. She complies with 1 Corinthians 11 and 15. When she refuses to use jewelry or ornamentation or cosmetics, she is the image of separation in a modern world. Living by this instructive in 1 Timothy 2.9, she illuminates the world around her with the light of the gospel that has shined in her heart. She is a candle lifted on high. When a man wears his hair short and cut, when he is clean shaven, and when his temperament is godly, he also reflects separation to the world. 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen and 1 Timothy 2, 8 are shined forth like a city set on a hill. The outward dress of a man and a woman reflects separation as well. The man does not wear women's clothes. The woman does not wear clothing that pertains to a man. Deuteronomy 22, 5. The distinction between a male and a female is on display for the world around us to see the principle of separation by illumination. The apostles Paul speaks of this living light moving among the darkness when he declared, ye are our epistle known and read of all men, 2 Corinthians 3 and 2. There is a clear prohibition in the New Testament of worldliness if we are to retain our fellowship with God. Love not the world, Greek word cosmos, 1 John 2, 1. There must be a separation of lifestyle from this present cosmos. A Christian is admonished to love not the present cosmos. If a person loves this present cosmos, they are earmarked an adulterer in the spiritual realm, James 4 and 4. This demands a believer to be separate in a number of areas. One of these areas would be our language. We are never to curse or use profanity. Romans 3 and 14. That distinction makes us a living light among a dark world. Our entertainment must be separate from the cosmos around us. These are op-ed things right here. I take responsibility. Everybody may not agree with this next paragraph. These are my thoughts. This would include not participating or attending organized or professional sport events, Hollywood movies, and any other form of entertainment that is contrary to the principles of the New Covenant doctrine of separation wherever they may be found. Come out from among them and be ye separate, 2 Corinthians 6 and 17. We are admonished and commanded to not do these things and to have no pleasure in them that do them. Romans 1.32 This guideline in Romans 1.32 would prohibit bringing these evils into our homes through mediums like television. To separate from these things, the Greek aferezo means to be set off by a boundary and to sever them from our lives. When taking the entire body of Scripture... In the New Testament, it is clear the matter of separation is all-inclusive in a believer's life. 
And this may be the main thrust of what I want to communicate. That we broaden our view to understand how big separation is. It is not one dimensional. But rather all inclusive of every thought and facet of life. It includes outward appearance. It includes thought processes. It includes habits. It includes entertainment. It includes lifestyle and relationships. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 2, the Apostle Paul speaks that he had, quote, renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. In our current society, there exists a possibility of hidden things that previous generations have not had to contend with. Hidden here, the Greek, the Greek word kruptos means concealed, private, hidden, secret. Because we understand that the gospel is to bring light and deliverance to people's lives, we must address some of the issues of hidden things of dishonesty of our day. One of the battlegrounds for the church today is social media. These platforms allow a person to hide behind a moniker or screen name that does not identify the true persona. This creates a possible Pandora's box of hidden things. These platforms also allow a person to hide responses to others inside the social media app itself. These communiques are hidden in various forms. As Christians, we must be transparent and accountable in these areas. We must be illuminated by divine light and therefore be transparent. We cannot take light to a darkened, lost world if we have not been illuminated ourselves. We cannot use social media to communicate secret, hidden messages that are sinful. Parents, pastors, authorities in our lives must not be excluded from these hidden places. We must renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. We must separate ourselves from any hidden thing of dishonesty. The Apostle Paul succinctly and repeatedly warns of the need to separate ourselves from evil workers and false teachers. This is not a popular doctrine today, but it was certainly valid in the apostolic era. A bearer of light who has been illuminated by the Spirit of God cannot fellowship a worker of darkness unless they extinguish the light within themselves. Light expels darkness. This is an inviolate natural and spiritual law. Light reveals the error incumbent in darkness and the proponents of evil. I would almost guarantee many times people in this building working on a secular job, you will find people say there's something different about you. And they will feel condemnation and not understand why. I'm going to tell you why. They are experiencing light that is revealing their darkness. You are that illuminated, transparent, moving light among them that God uses to show what separation is before the final act of separation at the end of all time. So we must take this to heart. 2 Corinthians 6.14 What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? I think this principle right here is a key. As God will eventually and eternally discard all evil workers from his presence. Revelation 21 and 8. So we are admonished to do the same. Philippians 3 and 2. This is an important aspect of separation. The final separation. As has been affirmed, separation is an absolute law of God. It was the opening salvo of God's declarative acts in both the first cosmos and the second cosmos. It has been continuous through every era of mankind. The pages of history, archaeology, science, and the Bible provide no interval of man's existence when separation was not present. The primeval man, the antediluvial population, the, era, the Abrahamic era, the Exodus generation, all experienced separation. 
This will continue to be true in the final act of God at the end of our present world cosmos. The final act of separation will deliver a believer from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Romans 8 and 21. We are informed by none other than God himself that at the end of time there will be a final separation. Matthew chapter 25 details the separation of the sheep from the goats. Jesus Christ spoke of separating the wheat from the tares. Matthew 13.30. He spoke of the great net which caught many fish that kept the good cast the bad away. 13.48 Matthew. Repeatedly in Jesus Christ's earthly ministry the principle of separation at the end of all things is declared. In the book of Revelation, the closing chapters of God's eternal word, we are given detailed information about the separation of those who are saved and those who are lost. To indict a holy, righteous God for sentencing darkness and the followers of the principles of darkness to eternal separation is a glaring expose of ignorance. Light and darkness cannot coexist. The essence of who and what God is dispossesses this frivolous accusation. Light repels darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Brothers and sisters, when God withdraws himself, the only inevitable result is darkness. From the micro moment when time began until the judicious moment it ends, separation is entwined in the warp and woof of God himself. God is separation. Separation is God, for God is light. 1 John 1.5 A child of God separates himself from the darkness of this world cosmos and by virtue of this action separates himself unto God unto light and unto illumination. Thus the interrupted loop of the eternal called time is closed. What began with separation is completed with separation. Separation is, has been, and will remain the eternal principle of God. Succinctly done. I don't remember a Sunday school lesson that was quite that short, nor that informative. <laughs> I have a tremendous respect for Brother Bo and his exegesis of the Word of God. At this time, we would like to open up for questions. Please remember to raise your hand and wait to be recognized by the moderator. We'll bring you a microphone. State your question if you can in uh, under 60 seconds. Remember, decorum is he's absolutely essential. And let's try to draw from the expertise and the resource, the, corp- the corpus of research from our presenter today. And our first question, right back here. Austin Clark, evangelist, home missionary, then evangelist again from everywhere. I have no home. And, uh, but initially from Shelton, Washington. Um, my, my question is, it kind of deals with a word that I did not see anywhere in here, um, but what I immediately associate with separation, and that's holiness, or what we call holiness. And uh, I tried to pull it up real quick. Holiness or hagiosmos, the purification or sanctification, that is a setting apart um, from things that are unholy or or setting apart for a sacred purpose and I kind of have two questions on that one is our example of of Jesus who was perfectly holy who was the you know the ultimately separated one I guess from from sin knew no sin and yet he ate with publicans and sinners you know he went to weddings he he wasn't so so holiness or separation doesn't necessarily mean 
uh, reclusiveness because he took part in those things. So how do we kind of reconcile, like, where's the balance? Where's the, the middle ground between separation from worldly things and not partaking? And then, you know, where, where Jesus, I mean, it's just that, that the reconciliation of that. And then my second question is kind of the same thing. So the holiness of Jesus or that, that and again, that wasn't your word. It was just a word I automatically associate with, with separation. It, his holiness attracted sinners. It seems like sinners were, they flocked to him. And yet, a lot of what, what we call holiness or what I you know, call holiness, it, it, at, at some level it seems to, to turn, up, turn people off sometimes. To be, how, how, do I, how do I let my holiness or my separation from the world be attractive to the world as opposed to repugnant or repellent? In answer to the first segment of your question, I don't think we're obligated to withdraw or be a recluse. I think we're obligated to shine our light. And when you shine your light, there will be an automatic separation. Darkness will either come into light or darkness will be expelled. So I, I, you can't do everything in 3,000 words. And so I, I tried to present a bigger picture of separation as one of the attributes of God himself, like many of his other attributes. But no, we're in this world. That's what we're here for. Our purpose is to be a living light moving among the darkness. And we cannot do that unless we go forth. Um, On the second part, I didn't address a lot of holiness because that's Dr. Wilson's uh, deal. And I didn't feel like there was any need for repetition and certainly... My kindergarten comments compared to his expertise, so he's going to cover holiness. But I think separation is bigger. And that's one, we're good friends. Everybody, just so everybody knows, me and him are like really, really good friends. So I'm fixing to backhand him a little bit. That's what I'm coming against, that you give a 30-minute presentation on separation. It's what about holiness? My whole point is separation is so much larger than holiness. Is holiness important? Absolutely. I, I felt like I covered a segment of it. But I didn't take separation and say it just means holiness. I tried to present the concept that separation is the essence of God. Mm -hmm. It's it's compliant through every era, through every generation. And holiness is a part of separation. But we make it 90% of separation when in truth, biblically, it's probably not. Holiness is not going to be an issue after we go to be with Jesus. It's an issue now while first and second cosmos are overlapping. But it won't be an issue in the future. People in hell won't care, and we won't care how long your sleeves are. It's not going to make any difference. So I think to, I hope I'm making sense that that's what I'm trying to change, is that paradigm that separation is how we dress. It's much bigger than that. And holiness is a part of it, but it's not as big a part, I think, as we've made it in the past. That's my personal, that's my op-ed disclaimer. Absolutely. Someone else? Pastor Rick Mayo from Spokane. Uh, Reverend Bo, appreciate your presentation. It was first class. It was panoramic. It was truth. It was fabulous. Uh, on page 59, uh, third paragraph, you said, when a woman wears her hair long and uncut or untrimmed, she demonstrates the light of God in her separated lifestyle. Um, I absolutely believe that. Could another way of saying that be that you have to separate yourself from darkness so that the light can shine. Thank you. Say that again. I'm sorry. I I didn't hear it clearly. Could another another way of saying it? Could another way of saying that be that you have to come out from among them or separate yourself from doctrine so the light can shine? So there could be the distinctiveness. Absolutely. If we don't separate, there is no light. The light is a separating factor. In Genesis 1-1, light is what separated. Light is what illuminates. Light is what reveals. All of the factors of light is the whole issue in, in the first cosmos and I believe in the second cosmos. That's why I believe the predominance of Jesus in him was the light. The light was the light of the world. He is the light. We are the light. This predominance of light is an automatic function. Separation will happen. If you get the light, and you get illuminated, your pastor won't have to follow you to school to see if you roll your skirts up. 
you'll have that light. You'll have a revelation. I am a moving light of someone who has been illuminated by the power of God. And this dark world needs to see what I have. Not because I'm arrogant or elite, but because this is the only thing that transforms people is when light comes into their dark world. I don't know if I answered that adequately. Someone else, Brother Blash. I made him promise easy questions, doctor. All right, good. Easy is relative. Daniel Blash, St. Louis, Missouri. Um, fascinating, fascinating and, and excellent presentation, um, of course. Um, I always enjoy exploring the why and the what. Um, here, in this case, I would say the what is separation. Um, the why. Um, is it possible, and I'd like your response to this, is it possible that one way to present separation is as a tool for reconciliation? That it, it would seem that there could be a good argument that the role of Jesus was to reconcile. Mm-hmm. So that separation isn't the end, it's the means to the end. Would you respond to that? And you said that as much, so I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just asking you to respond to that paradigm of introducing separation as a means to an end, the ultimate end being reconciliation. What are your thoughts? I I think we have possibly, I'm not sure, possibly had a faulty paradigm of separation on, on on the fact that it's only separating from the world. And I think separation from the world automatically ushers you separation unto God. There is no middle ground. And I think that's the axiomatic answer. That that when I separate from the world, there's only one place I can go. When I leave darkness, there is no other place to go but the light. And, And so I think we spend a lot of time worrying about that where sometimes if we just go to the light, that would take care of itself. We wouldn't have this list of rules, Pastor, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? We would understand this incredible concept that separation is God himself. And one of these days I'm going to be separated forever. And so why don't I just get over in the light and live in the light and enjoy life and quit trying to straddle light and darkness the line. I don't know. I'm not supposed to preach. The reverend said no preaching, so I'm not going to. Brother Bowen, just a moment, we'll be uh, taking a question for Brother Glendo. However, I would like to ask just one quick question because it goes along, and this is the time to insert it. And it would be if we were to go back to the book of Genesis and we were, look at, we were to look at the earth in its uh, primal condition, and we looked at it from that place and we begin to see God begin to work, could we not say that before separation came his act of redeeming the earth. So we could actually look at there being an act of redemption taking place in the first and second verse. So we actually have redemption taking place and redemption involves separation. But that act did, in my opinion, yes, in the, in the knowledge of God, but the act, the first physical act was separation. Redemption comes. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, but the action did not happen. I guess I'm speaking broader than that. Was not the act of creation an act of redeeming the earth? The Bible says the earth was there. Yes. Yes, it is and was absolutely. But to, to redeem, he had to separate. Yeah. And, and still today, to redeem her, he's got to separate absolutely. her. The, the, the overarching principle is, yes, redemption is encased in separation. No separation no redemption. It's versus, basically new earth versus old earth. Say that it's basically new earth versus old earth is what I'm no, referring to. No, I, I don't think so. I, Dr. Wilson, don't get me, but I, I previewed that deal. I'm not sure I'm ready to say yes to that. Let, let, me, let me tell you, this is, let, let me re-say it in my way, all right? The first Adam brought death. Yeah. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, brings life. Absolutely. The first Adam ended eternal life, the second Adam restores eternal life. The first Adam was the father of all. The second Adam is the father of all spiritually. The first Adam named all of creation. The second Adam redeemed all of creation. The first Adam had a wife taken from his rib. The second Adam shed blood and water from his side and also 
created his wife. The first Adam received the breath of life. The second Adam breathes life into us. The first Adam gave seminal life to mankind. The second Adam gives spiritual life to mankind. The first Adam was made of the earth earthly. The second Adam came from heaven. The first Adam was made a living soul. The second Adam a quickening spirit. My contention is this, that what happened in Acts chapter 2, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, was not some, this is where I'll offend, uh, I'm glad he mentioned that offending deal because I'll offend some here. Uh, I, I don't see that as some sixth event and some dispensational mantra of time. I see that as the greatest moment in the history of the world. That the first cosmos was being replaced by the second cosmos. And things that happened in the first cosmos are now being replaced in the second cosmos. Light, light. Water separated, water separated, etc. I could go through all that. But even more so, it's interesting that the world is divided into countries in Genesis chapter 10. And they are scattered by languages. And then they are brought back together in Acts chapter 10. And it is by languages through tongues that this happens. There is such an incredible comparison of what happens in the natural first cosmos and what I see happening in the second cosmos. Uh, if you want to read Strabo, the Greek geographer, the, uh, in, the, in the interim between the Roman Empire and the Roman uh, uh, all that stuff. You, you can read that those, in Acts chapter 2, those 15 nations mentioned right then, according to Strabo, represents the whole world. What was happening there was not some little event in Palestine. It wasn't some event in Israel that was just affecting a surrounding region. It actually says it. There were men there from every nation under heaven. It was a magnificent moment. So to me, that's what's going on in all of this. In the bigger picture is he is reestablishing for the future mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a second cosmos. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. <laughs> Brother Galindo has a question. No. Someone else. Brother Mayo. Pastor Mayo. I want to get a little bit more practical here because Pentecost is a big world and it covers a lot of different stripes. To the degree that what seems to separate, quote-unquote, these groups is their perception and definition of separation. Could you comment on that, please? Good. I think there are a number of definitions uh, throughout the New Testament. Um, the ones that, that I tried to make mention of, first of all, there is the separation of our appearance obviously, so that we are identifiable. In a man's case, the woman bears the burden of that in our modern world through uh, the hair and the cosmetics, but men are dressed in the scripture, their temperament. We find that men, men's problem is not putting makeup on and wearing earrings in the Pentecostal world, but their temperament is what is, is at stake. And what needs to be shown to the world is that the Holy Ghost can change a man's temper. In his, so the temperament, the appearance, I think there are, there are, that's why... Uh, in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 13 through 17, and chapter 7, verse number 1. But, but I don't think it stops there. I think that's critical. I think our appearance is critical. I do. I think if you don't look the part, you, you've got the outside right, but the inside's not right. Back to my little simple illustration of the shellfish. Jesus, it was a maxim that you've got to have it right on the outside, and you've got to have it right on the inside. And that's the whole purpose of it. So your dress has to be right. Your conversation has to be right. Your entertainment has to be right. Your relationships have to be right. You have to follow the protocol of separation in the sense if someone is evil or wicked, you are obligated to separate yourself, evil workers, and et cetera. So I don't know if I'm answering that correctly. It's hard for me to hear the questions up here. But I do think it's all-encompassing. I think it's more than a set of rules and standards in a church. I think it's all-encompassing. If you get into that word the way our our good brother, brother hadn't mentioned it. You're going to be convicted of some things that maybe your neighbor isn't even convicted of. But it's a weak spot in your life, and you have to follow that light to be the illumination that you need to be. Brother Elder. 
Brother Elder, Pueblo, Colorado, Paul Elder, uh, Dr. Bo, excellent presentation today. And regarding your amazing concept of separation being light, which is really good. Um, could we look at this like, let me give an illustration here. Uh, the gentleman that, I uh, can't think of his name right now, I need a donut, but uh, the, the gentleman that created the light bulb, what was his Edison. name? Edison, yes. How many elements did he go through to find an element that would conduct light? And so essence, he separated all those other elements that would not conduct the light. Um, one of the things that you just now mentioned because we're so stuck on our appearance, but in, in essence to separation, God spoke about holy conversation more than any other standard mm. in the Bible. And I see such a, a relaxing of the vigilance to oversee our conversation, our behavior, and our lifestyle in this world today, which I think is a massive portion of our identity. Could you expound upon that? Well, I, I think it's huge. Um, and I'm going to risk, I, I hope I'm not a negative person. I'm like Judge Kavanaugh, I like to live on the sunny side of the mountain. But uh, that was a bad joke, all right? Uh, I think conversation is, is not addressed enough. I, I think uh, if I read Paul's writing to Timothy correctly, the woman's issue generally is how she appears, as she ages. She, she doesn't want to lose her youthfulness and her beauty, and so these are issues. And he was, But I think we forget the second part of that, and that's that the man's role is his demeanor, his temper. And just because he's not screaming at his wife in church doesn't mean he's not screaming at her at home doesn't mean that he's not pounding the steering wheel with road rage on the highway home and I think when people see that in a man that's the illumination whereas in a woman they see more the physical outward now that's my feeling and I think that communication is incredibly important in today's world we're living in a world where hate and rage is erupting in every corner of America and our world and the more we can have Holy Ghost-filled men, the more we can have people that are calm and balanced, I think that communicates more to the world than his good haircut and no facial hair. I just think that's they're going to say, wow, that guy's got something that I'm not seeing. That's what I think. Absolutely. Right here in the middle. And we'll use that same sequence again. Ashley Morrison from Memphis. Now speak up, I can Ashley Morrison from Memphis. Um, this is more of an observation, but um, and it goes a bit off of Brother Mayo's comment earlier. Um, but it seems that when God declares a separation, it's good and, and it's it's something we follow. Um, but when mankind sets a separation apart from what's biblical, such as the holiness separation, Hollywood and all of that. When we set separation, I'm talking about segregation in the world or um, separating God into three. Would you say that because of that, there's maybe a different definition that God has for separation versus what humans have, which is why there's, there's always a, a lack when we cause separation versus when God sets separation? My answer is bilateral in that Paul did make reference to keeping the tradition that he taught them. Those are obviously not thou shalt nots. Now, I don't know what those traditions were, but there were some things. So I'm going to be vulnerable here to uh, forget who said that. I'll be vulnerable for a moment here, okay? I don't think I have a scripture in the Bible that tells a man not to wear a mustache. But I ask my men not to, and they don't, all right? I don't stand in the pulpit and say, the Bible says, or you're going to, and I don't use Old Testament trimming the beard. I don't use any of that. I just say, hey, this is who we are. This is what we've been for 47 years. This is how we live around here. 
So that's a tradition of First Pentecostal Church of Puget Sound. All right, I don't try to man-make something that's not there. And if you've got scriptures on it, give them to me because I could sure use them. <laughs> but there are, there are clear-cut issues of separation. Woman cutting her hair, man having long hair, uh, uh, dozens of illustrations. So when you move into that interpretive point, where a pastor has to decide for his congregation. I'm really going to go out on a limb here. I think even some of that, and maybe they'll cover this in their cultural stuff, I think there are things that may be wrong in one place that may not be wrong somewhere else. I have a friend that teaches his men not to shave their head. And the reason he does in his town, that's a mark of gangs. So he politely says, I don't have a Bible, but would you not do that? So none of the men in his church, even though they're largely Hispanic congregation, and they would like to, they honor their pastor's word. Is that heaven or hell? No. But I think you get into some areas where you've got to have pastoral insight, feeling, empathy, walk carefully. Um, that's the best I can do on that. I think there are some man-made, if I'm reading you correctly. But I would be interested in why. Is it a control issue? It's just because you don't like brown shoes, you tell them not to wear brown shoes, and that's wrong. But if there's a supporting our number one reason for being here is to win people. Mm -hmm. And anything that I do that keeps me from winning people would not be something God would want me to do. So that's, I, I don't know how to say that any more fancy. Sure. I, th I think that's our primary obligation is to be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. We have, thank Mayo, you. Yeah. We have time for one more question. Brother Haddon, I'd ask that you defer to speak with Brother Bo personally. That way we can keep things on track. Thank you. This is my last question, I promise. Uh, but I am asking this specifically, uh, not just for uh, people that are present in this room, but also for those that are listening on Holy Ghost Radio. Um, there is a resurgence right now in the progressive light doctrine uh, that has gone through quite of a history um, in the last hundred years or so. If indeed... The progressive light doctrine is, in fact, correct that a person on the continuum would be judged or even saved according to the degree of light they had. Would they then be judged by the degree of separation that they had? I only see in the Bible between light and dark. There are no degrees. Could you comment on that? I respectfully always decline to talk on the light preeminence, light. I use the word maturity because I think it's a Bible word that you grow in God. You can't be saved outside of Acts 2.38. So everything we're prefacing and discussing here is after you're baptized and have received the Holy Ghost. Okay, From that point, saved or lost, I'd rather look at it as maturity than I would light. Because light can shine but not be accepted. Light can shine and not be embraced. Light can shine and only confuse people. But maturity is the proof of what your faith is doing in your life. And so to those that would say this pre preeminent light stuff, it's kind of a Northwest thing, has been for years, uh, living in all the lights you have, blah, blah, blah. First you get saved, then you grow up, all right? That's what you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we just, let me just want to take one more question from right here. This brother had had his hand up, and uh, I just want to make sure that he gets an opportunity, and then we'll break for lunch. Uh, Evan Morrison from Memphis, Tennessee. I wanted to ask you if you could uh, speak to, um, I guess, something that a bit uh, getting into the practical of separation, uh, and that separation is something that, uh, as the people of God, we should embrace and facilitate uh, in the world. And I think there are two aspects of it, of it being process-oriented and instantaneous, um, and that the understanding of those two has implications um, to how effective we are in being a light and uh, engendering separation into the world. Could you speak to those two different uh, functions? If I understood you correctly, this is my answer. 
and studying human de development in psychology classes in college, if you do that, there are certain things that they look for in the development of a young child. You don't have to teach them. Nobody takes, unless you're a David Lotschick type story where there's an illness involved, nobody gets their child down on the floor and says, now put your leg here, I'm going to teach you how to crawl. We watch and observe that child crawls. Eventually it stands, eventually it walks, eventually it starts saying mama or dada, depending on who's got the most money and the kid's smarter, you know, he <laughs> said mama first. Or, you know. But there are certain things you look for in maturity and growth that are causative to growth. They just happen. It should be that way in the spiritual. There should be growth. There should be people that look around and say, wow, this obviously is the way they do things here. So I think maturity and maturing in God is, is the key, not particularly trying to move them too fast. Now, having said that, we do know that time in God is not the same as it is time in this third dimension that we live right now. You can get in the fourth dimension, a little subject that I talk about occasionally. You can get in that fourth dimension and grow quickly. We've all had people in our church. He came in, and 12 years later, he hadn't moved one peg. He's still where he was 12 years ago. He hadn't even learned to crawl yet. And we've got somebody else that's been there three months, and you're like, I can't even believe this is the same person. They have moved forward so fastly. So I'm drawing a maturity analogy that is natural process of life in the natural, and I'm transferring that to the spiritual, but I'm saying in the spiritual realm, it's not held to the same time scale that it is in the natural. I hope that makes sense. The, the quickness by which you get somewhere, the fast, I have people in this meeting right now, I won't embarrass them. They came in, and I'm telling you, within two weeks, it was like they'd been in church all their life. And I've got other people that are not quite there yet. I guess they're hearing this everywhere, so. Um, so I think that that whole curve of separation, part of it is your response to God, your personal background, what you're dealing with. A brother hadn't mentioned the guys that he's working with across the table from a 12-year-old, 40-year-old, however he said it. All of those do come into play, and you can't eclipse those. But in the big picture, when light shines, something happens. If this room was dark and they turned on the light, you don't have to tell your brain, blink. It will blink. All right? Light brings reaction. And when light comes into a darkened world, something is going to happen. That's my perspective. Can we thank our presenter this morning? What an excellent work. The biblical definition of separation. Why don't we stand? We're getting ready to break for lunch today. We're going to take uh, and break till 2 o'clock. We'll reconvene promptly at 2, and we're looking forward to hearing from Brother Miles Young, Multiculturalism and the Church, as well as Dr. Daniel Blash, Biblical Counseling and the 21st Century Church. You won't want to miss it. So again, 2 o'clock, we'll reconvene.